Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm sharing a session from the Patients as Partners in Clinical Trials Europe 2019 event featuring Dr. Jay Duhigg on increasing health literacy in patients. The session is called, What is the Process to Understand the Language of Patients? The Value of Health Literacy. The Patients as Partners Europe 2020 conference takes place January 27th to 28th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. Delighted to welcome our first speaker this afternoon, Jay, from AbbVie. Do come up to the stage, Jay. So um, this first session for the next half an hour is, again, I guess, examples from an industry point of view. So similar to the examples you heard this morning, particularly in relation to the value of health literacy. So communicating optimally with patients, which has been referenced in the morning as well. Um, so, Jay, over to you for the next 30 minutes. Thank you very much. There's this pharmacy in Chicago. It's a tiny little store. And well, there is more than one pharmacy, but this particular one, Cosmo Drug, oh, is a little box of a store. Uh, people from all walks of life come here to get their toothpaste, pick up their tissues, and of course, get their medications. Now, the pharmacist behind the counter, along with filling prescriptions, he wears many hats. He's a local historian, he's a keeper of secrets, and he's a smile to light up someone's otherwise lonely day. But the most important hat that he wears is that of communicator. He speaks the language of patience. Because everybody goes to Cosmos, whether it's the restaurant worker trying to figure out how to safely use her auto injector when the instructions for use are in a language she doesn't read, the mom with three kids grabbing candy and cookies for kids number one and two to keep them quiet so she can hear the medication directions for, the, um, for kid number three who has strep throat for the third time this season, the firefighter who, no matter how bad he's suffering, when you ask him, He's always going to tell you that he's fine. It's that pharmacist's job, or rather commitment, to make sure that each person understands information in a way that helps them follow a success plan to wellness. Now, that communication, that language of patience, as we said, doesn't just exist at Cosmos here or at all the pharmacies throughout Chicago and throughout the world. It's something that we've been talking about uh, all morning so as an important point for organizations that strive to put patients first. At AbbVie, we're talking about this in terms of going beyond the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of the drug and considering ways that the behavioral sciences, specifically health literacy, can help us improve self-efficacy and lead to meaningful changes in patient outcomes. Uh, I started as a drug sales rep in Chicago. Uh, I had Northwestern University Hospital and University of Chicago Hospitals. And I'd be going around, so as a young man, so my first job after university, and sitting in the offices and see the people that were there. They're waiting to go back and see the doctors. Um, people are tired. They're scared often. 
So naturally, the, many of them are sick and not feeling well and just generally not at their best. And then you go back, and I'd be waiting to talk with the doctors and the nurses and the staff, and they're tired, and they're stressed, and they're fearful about being at their best and meeting all the different needs of what's coming at them from people with differences in language and differences in culture, differences in understanding. And I'm looking at this and say, well, th this is something worth learning more about. All the different communication dynamics that are playing out right between these two groups. The doctors that have to have so much knowledge about all these different therapies, patients that may or may not want any of that information or may have their, or do have their own particular needs and saying, well, how are these groups communicating? What's happening here? And I didn't know enough about that. And I, I didn't feel like I was going to get there uh, in my current thing. So I went back um, for advanced graduate school training. And that's when I really came into studying health literacy, human factors, and the other behavioral sciences and understanding their role within design thinking and within systems engineering. So I was very fortunate to work with some terrific research teams and had the opportunity uh, after finishing that to come work with uh, Abbott and AbV and lead some different programs uh, specifically on human factors. So on uh, the design of platforms and systems and trying to bring a person in and groups of patients and viewpoints very early into the design. As we were hearing before, not when something's already finished and set up, putting the bells and whistles on it, but instead at the very outset. And that was great, but I noticed after a few years within the organization, I was really only able to impact the people that I was directly working with, be it the patient groups, that we would have come into this usability testing or within my company and within the, uh, the external researchers we might be working with, those that were on the teams and saying, well, if I'm not there, where is this getting done? So we started building up capacity, but it was also looking at this has to be everybody's job. Everybody has to be thinking in these ways. So how do I do that from a mass communication standpoint? and started with the idea of, well, need to get all of these people, regardless of what their role is, asking more questions and challenging their assumptions. Okay, so what kind of questions? Well, questions like, do our actions match our intentions? Are we focusing on the information of greatest importance and our construction of materials. Have we thought about the use environment or the larger context of use beyond what we might just be seeing? I love this one that they want to have the trouble to put the little safety caps like right next to it. Okay, so I grew up in Chicago. I'm 12 years old and I'm already about 183 centimeters tall. So, and if you're in Chicago and you're tall and in the 90s, you're playing basketball. And I mean, everything, all day, every day, is all about hoops. Because there's Michael Jordan, there's Scottie Pippen, and they're waiting on Jimmy Dewig to keep winning championships. So I'm playing basketball all the time. This is the only thing I want to do. And my big sister, Nora, was a championship athlete herself. So, and so one year for Christmas, she gets me, when I'm about 12, she gets me this chin-up bar. 
So I'm doing my chin-ups, I'm practicing my left-handed layups, like in that, so, and it's just hoops all the time. Fast forward a few years and a couple of growth spurts later, I'm up to about my current height of uh, over two meters. And one day, I'm running through the house, into the bedroom, right between the eyes, and I go out. And I'm down. And as I'm coming to Nora, who is home, I can hear her, and she's crying. And that's when you get scared because everything's kind of tingly. I can't really feel anything, and I'm looking at her to understand what's going on. And I can just feel that cold fear spreading throughout my body. And if she's crying like this, I must be really, really hurt. So 100% of my attention focused on her, and I'm looking at her face and her tears, and she's crying. She's, she's laughing. <laughs> she is bent over, howling in laughter with tears coming down her face. And goes, I've been waiting six years for that. <laughs> so do we think about how people change? And if we're, what we're doing now and what we're creating for them now sets them up for success later on. So it's those type of questions that we try to get into with all these different functions and challenging that assumptions. And when we have different people from all parts of our organizations, internally and externally, that are focused on therapeutic development, focused on the patient experience, asking those questions, that creates a situation where we, is really conducive to learning. <clears throat> well, what's worth learning about that where there are gaps? One thing I really like to focus on is health literacy. And I start, I work with, on a team in pharmacovigilance and patient safety with about 100 MDs, um, so, and then many other advanced practice uh, nurses, uh, pharmacists, safety statisticians, so a lot of people that have deep uh, expertise and experience. And when you start talking health literacy, they're thinking in terms of all these polysyllabic words that are impossible for most people to say or that you have to go to school for 10 years to learn to say. <clears throat> I'm saying, okay, that's part of it, but... Health literacy really comes down to that about a third of people are going to be confused by take two pills twice a day. So we think about that, that, and I mean, uh, and this was a study that was done in U.S. but has been uh, replicated globally with the difficulties that we have in understanding and of learning and the differences in literacy, health literacy, the issues in numeracy, and how those play out on people's actions and the situations that people are usually in. When we start taking a therapy, can be a very scary thing, and that influences our capabilities. It's really where it turns on to that piece of self-efficacy, our belief. So you're gonna have hundreds of millions of people where if you ask them to do this action, take two pills twice a day, show me what you would do with a bottle of pills, they're gonna struggle with it. And it's that type of understanding of looking at health literacy and starting that very early on in that design process. Again, like we're talking, when we're thinking about how are people going to report adverse events, how are clinicians and researchers or the nurses that might be enrolling clinical studies, how are they going to be explaining 
benefit and risk. What are they listening for when people have questions? Not just the, the patients, but of course, as we were talking here today, their care partners. What are those things that are really going to make a difference in building out from, uh, from this base that it's really about that we can't get too simple? And simple doesn't mean simplistic. So what's worth focusing on when we create this ongoing interest in health literacy and, again, challenging within these assumptions? I'll continue on to say there's a big difference between knowing what the right thing is to do and actually getting people to do it. Okay, I know I should drink enough water. I know I should be getting eight hours of sleep. I wish my kids knew that. So I know that I need to be getting enough exercise. And now, now... I'm going to be more enabled because we have apps. We have our phones. We have our devices. Rough guess how many apps are on the iTunes app store that are related to health, health-related apps? And around there, yeah. So more than 150,000 was about an estimate that I have. And you've seen them as high as 250. So there are health-related apps that have behavioral science, they have nudges, if we've heard about that from behaviorism. They have all these things that are involved in our lives, and they're with us all the time because our phones are with us all the time. So you have all these different apps that weren't there 10, 11 years ago. So here's this huge sector of development that's around apps, but are we dramatically healthier? Have we seen patient experiences improve extensively, so it's such that they're affecting outcomes data or life expectancy around key disease markers? To some extent, and in some instances, yes. So, But on the whole, versus the number of apps and the number of things that were created versus their outcomes, that's where things get called into question. And I, what we'll talk about in this is it's not just enough to create something to see a problem and build that solution. It's the ideas of attention, of engagement, of how it fits with people's life, and in particular, where there are systematic challenges that are gonna make it difficult for them to succeed with the use of the tool. So within sleeping and eating right and exercise, it's not my fault that I struggle with these things. There are systematic challenges that get in my way. Beer is really good. I live in Chicago, deep dish pizza capital of the world. So like that stuff, Netflix has some really good shows. There's nothing I could do about these. I'm calling it in those ways, but the idea that we can't just focus on creating the next new thing or creating more things and answering one problem. It's uh, creating partnerships that can lead towards meaningful difference, meaningful difference in outcomes and always driving towards that piece of outcomes. Within, here's a quick example for us. This was something that we created uh, called a quick start guide uh, for a project. And we were going through and working with people for, um, on a project that was going to include the idea of dose titration, dose escalation. And we're trying different combinations of words. And now for clinicians, for researchers, anybody in this field, hey, the, the, they got those down pretty easy. The idea that you're going to start at one dose and titrate up towards a treatment dose. It's a pretty basic concept. But for most people, that can seem pretty foreign. 
And that can seem new and it can even be scary. Well, why am I taking a different, is this a different drug? What's happening? So how can we help make this easy for people and also make it easy for people to explain? So we came up with, um, after running through different iterations, that there's no magic bullet words of dose titration, escalation, ramp up dose. Instead, we gotta do it in multiple ways and came up with this tool called a quick start tool and says, all right, this is gonna be a visual roadmap and this is gonna be a way that we're going to help people see it's gonna resemble a calendar and it's just gonna give them a, a cognitive framework for what we expect them to do for their behaviors. And so we make it health literate. This is an earlier prototype. We try to make it simple. We test the messages. We design iterate, meaning we bring people in, put it in their hands, see what they do, ask them questions, and then do it again until we feel like we got a really good design. We feel like this is really working well because we're just we're, we're testing the sheet. And then we go into what's called uh, summative or validation testing, thinking that we have this down. If you could play the clip, please. And this is, was a person with the condition of interest, uh, but wasn't on it. And so like, okay, here it is. That's our little guide on the left. She's going to read that, and she's going to know what to do. And she's going to feel really good about it, and she didn't read the guide. Okay. Well, she, she didn't look at it. Probably just a her. Probably just her. Didn't really, you know, like the look of her when she came in. So for like testing. So, and they're just alone in this room. And we're evaluating what they do. Say, do what you do at home. And now for this person. So like, okay, well, you know, she looks really sharp. Um, she's going to read the guide. And this is going to work out really well. We're smart. We're good. And she didn't do it either. Okay. <laughs> we got a problem. So here you do this great tool and nobody's using it. So what do we do? Well, we got to find a solution that works in the real world. And a solution that can work for us, for, for the partners, given the time pressures, and everything else that's happening. This was uh, a project that was considered um, fast-paced or uh, definitely in need. If we could play the next one, please. So we got to come up with a solution. So we bring in more real, we come up with an idea, bring in more real people to test it. Well, what's our idea? Some super fancy app? No, put a red arrow on it. Stuck a little red arrow on the box that said read first. And we got people to look at the material. And what was really interesting is this, this behavior repeated and think like, okay, all right, you got them to look at your worksheet. Well, when we asked them questions and what we, when we tested them behaviorally, what we found is not only did they perform better in doing this task, they felt better. So they were more confident that they could do this. They, uh, they had increased belief that uh, they were going to be able to treat themselves successfully. And that's really important. That's a big piece of this, that understanding of self-efficacy, because it gets directly at the core of the behaviors. So it's about identifying a simple solution. And those type of simple solutions take me right back to Cosmos. This was my dad's pharmacy. Uh, my dad, Patrick, was a community pharmacist in Chicago for uh, more than 47 years. And I was really fortunate that I got to grow up in and around the pharmacy counter and see a really, um, him take care of this really diverse and vibrant community of all these different people that would come in. And to make a difference in the actions of the person right in front of him, my dad had to get creative. 
He'd have to use what he knew about the person's history, their experiences, their community, their the social network, which at the time was, you know, as they're saying, their church, their neighbors, the doctors they were working with, and he would use that to inform his conversation, focusing in on things that were going to make a difference for people. When we're at AbV talking about adherence. I can hear his voice in my head calling across the pharmacy going, Mrs. McGillicuddy, the drug doesn't do you any good in the bottle. So it's those simple solutions. And that worked in that way. And that he could empathize for people like that and then think about what was going to be meaningful to them. And how do we do that from a mass communication standpoint? Uh, as we heard from Andrew today was about you know, finding those examples to get inspired about. Seeing my dad care for this community was what inspired me to become a behavioral scientist and think about how to do this and make a difference by treating people and constructing communication, breaking things down, and problem solving to help find the right messages that can be delivered to people in a way that they find most valuable. So, Thanks for letting me share this example uh, with you today. The 2020 conference takes place January 27th and 28th in London. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.